Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, today is Headlines and Baselines on Thursdays, and we read the headlines from the New Haven Independent, that indispensable source of local news and debate. And tell you what some of the main headlines for past week were. A little obnoxious uh, take, personal take on what it all means, and then some music to go with it to really add a little soul to the recipe. Headline, Yale expands on Broadway with $7 million buys. Or it's, we're talking about the former home of the York Street Cinema. Maybe it could have been now playing York Square, King Kong conquers Broadway, King Kong being Yale. Yale has bought up most of that central downtown area. They have a few properties left. They got two of the remaining ones they don't control as a landlord. It's 51 and 57 Broadway. The old Rhymes Records was upstairs. I always loved hanging out there. It was kind of fun. It was pretty inexpensive. You get your vinyl records. The fun, the fun part was leafing through. It was on the second floor because of cheap rent. Leafing through the bins with all the records. And, you know, that was the era of, in the 70s, 80s of um, cover art. You know, great, great cover albums that were full size. And it was just a practice so many people had. It we just went through bins and just went one after another looking at all the different Album covers, and then they, they were used at Rhymes Records. Cutler was down the street, ground floor, all the new stuff. Rhymes was where you got it used. I remember getting a great Ralph McTell album. You'd get an album, and sometimes you put it on, you do one song, she's from London, and the whole thing just kind of takes you to another world. And uh, But those days are gone, but new days are there. You know, custom, Campus Customs on the front ground floor there. There used to be the York Square Cinemas on that property. There's still a few holdouts. Yorkside Pizza around the corner on York Street, because that's a whole district, Broadway, commercial district. Um, they still own their building. Last time I checked last night. And uh, Toad's Place, which Yale's been trying to get rid of for years. So, you know, you can't help but root for Toad's. They tried all kinds of skeezy moves the way Yale does because they like to control everything and decide who gets to do what in New Haven. They um, tried to stop the black egress, back egress, but they, they took care of that at Toad's. And um, just cope. They hang on and hold on. You know, I don't get as worked up some people do about the fact that Yale owns all that stuff. The district did get pretty beat. And, uh, you know, Yale has some upscale stores and they try to turn us into the Guilford Shoreline so they have people who look a certain way to come spend ridiculous amounts of money for meaningless uh, merchandise. But in fact, those places never work. So that's okay. The market says what the market is. We are in New Haven and they keep it up nicer than it used to look, I got to admit. But I still hope it holds the toads and, and uh, Yorkshire Pizza hold on, holding on. But you know what really got me about the sale? Tom Breen always points this out. And I'm wondering how many times he's going to have to point this out before something changes in that cover your back, hide, and don't take any creative action with any vision city hall. $7 million Yale paid for those buildings. And Yale wasn't buying these buildings as some kind of idealistic quest to help society. They want to control everything. So they had to pay what the buildings were worth. So they paid $7 million for those two buildings, 51 and 57 Broadways. As Tom Bean always points out, he says, well, what does the city say it's worth when they tax the building? They said those buildings were worth $4.55 million, so almost $2.5 million less. Just think about that. Now, if that happened once, that's no big deal. It'd be a couple pennies out of everyone else's pockets to make up when we get taxed for our houses or indirectly through rent in New Haven. But time and again, 
close to 100% of the time when these commercial buildings sell. The city's been taxing them for a lot less than they're worth. Because we know what they're worth. What is their worth? They're worth what people will pay for, right? So if you own a house in New Haven, when the city taxes you, they look at what other houses like it's sold for. Because that's what it's worth. And that's what you pay taxes on. But if some Yale buys a commercial building or some out-of-town developer wants to build condos or someone does commercial work in New Haven, they pay a lot less consistently, sometimes by tens of millions of dollars, as we found out with the Frontier Building sale at Orange Street. New Haven just says it's worth a lot less. And why? It's a choice. It's not an accident. They make a choice of how to appraise buildings for tax purposes to say what they're worth. And they choose to use a formula because they have under law options that ends up making commercial buildings worth less than they're really worth, but not so with people owning their own homes, residential buildings. As a result, someone has to make up that difference for hundreds of millions of dollars that are just basically free freebies that city that New Haven gives the most powerful and the wealthiest. And that is that the taxes have to be made up by people who own homes in New Haven and live in them or indirectly pay rent on taxes to people who do. And this has been pointed out again and again for years by Tom Breen, the Independent. And the Ellicke administration, you'd think that they are get elected to something like mayor and you have an administration. You think your job is to solve problems and make the city better. If you thought that and you saw that you're waving goodbye to $100 million worth every year of appraised value in buildings to people who are the least needed out-of-town speculators, luxury developers, Yale. You might say, hey, let's do it differently since that's legal and it might take a little work. You might even have to spend fifty dollars or $100,000 on a really smart study, as much as I hate studies, that might get us $100 million more in revenue forever every four years. But that would require vision. That would require not being defensive. That would be would require intellectual curiosity. It would require not just running city based on ideas you copy from handouts at Yale School of Management. But when we deal with the rich and powerful New Haven, sometimes we hear rhetoric sound all righteous from people in power. What they really do, Chuck Berry knew what they do. Just gotta find the song. They always just roll over. And when he sang Roll Over Beethoven. Well, I'm gonna write a little letter, I'm gonna mail it to my local DJ. Yeah, it's a jumping little record, I want my jockey to play. I gotta hear it again today You know my temperature rising The jukebox blowing a fuse My heart beating rhythm And my soul keep a singing the blues I roll over Beethoven Tell Tchaikovsky the news I got the rockin' pneumonia I need a shot of rhythm and blues I caught the rolling off the writer Sitting down at a rhythm review I roll over Beethoven, they're rocking in two by two. Well, if you feel it and like it, go get your lover, then reel and rock it. Roll it over, then move on up. Just a trifle further, then reel and rock with one another. Roll over Beethoven, dig these rhythm and blues.
You know she wiggle like a glowworm, dance like a spinning top. She got a crazy partner, you ought to see him reel and rock. Long as she got a dime, the music won't never stop. I roll over Beethoven. 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 Dig to the rhythm and blues. Roll over Beethoven from the great Chuck Berry. Roll over New Haven. The developers at Yale University are buying property and they're not going to pay their fair share of taxes because our city just rolls over and lets the rest of us subsidize the wealthy. Here on Headlines and Baselines, WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio, 103.5, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're reading headlines from the New Haven Independent, bloviating about them a little bit, and then letting the music do the talking. Headline, Church Street South Futures Floated. We're not talking about buying futures and investing. We're talking about the now empty 8.27 acres direct from the train station, a property that has been bedeviling the city for decades. Uh, Oh, we got a comment from Sergio. City departments are understaffed with people. Only people with connections can get stuff done. They raise taxes but do not increase services. Sergio Sr., Thank you, Sergio. I agree with that. I do think understaffing is a problem. I also think it's a problem of imagination because I totally agree with you. But it's not about understaffing that makes a policy decision that you're going to appraise commercial properties differently from residential properties and that you're going to use a formula that always rigs the game so that the wealthy pay less than their properties are worth. They'll make more when they sell them, but they'll pay taxes though they're less. And it takes imagination and vision and courage and interest on the part of government political leaders, elected leaders, to make that happen. But I do agree with your point, Sergio, and thank you very much for listening to Dateline New Haven. So back to Church Street South. So that's the property. It was a started as a housing, housing co-op in the middle of 20th century, a little later than that. Ran down a lot. Got picked up by developers who... First, we're going to do a nonprofit developer who let it run down worse. Then a for-profit developer who was asked to come in by the property, tear it down, and, and build a mixed-use project that's bigger so it'd still have some affordable housing, but also given that you're right by a train station, there's a stuff called transitory development these days that can lure people with money, make it more, do something like that. But then that got shot down by the politics in New Haven. So then it got more run down where it got to the point where we tore it down because there was so much danger to the health of the families, 300 families living there, asthma, just, I mean, you could peel the ceilings. I watched an inspector peel the ceiling off. There was so much damage there, so much mold. So finally, the Housing Authority of New Haven came in and bought it for $21 million. We talked about that last week. Tom Bream was all over that. And this week, uh, what they says, they got a, they got $500,000 from the federal government to figure out how to re-envision that block. It's kind of an exciting time, in my opinion. You got people who are developing a good track record in building affordable housing and some mixed income housing that doesn't just use that as an excuse to push out the poor, but to include them for real in the working class. And they had their first meeting. They're going to have a whole bunch of meetings that asked the neighborhood what they think. And uh, Laura Gillespie has a really good article this week in The Independent. You can still see it there. It's Hershey South Futures Floated, where people talked about some of their ideas. You could even vote on there. We learned that there's a public housing tower next to it for elderly and disabled, Robert T. Wolf. That's also a mess. That's going to come down. And then um, 
there'll be some kind of mixed income development. I'm guessing some kind of mixed use. It doesn't look like Elon Musk is going to build a new launch pad for SpaceX, though when you look at that property, you wonder, but not for real. Uh, Carmen Rodriguez had a good idea. She's the older there. She said, why not put a Trader Joe's on the first floor if there'll be retail? That could benefit everybody. Um, that's fun. It's fun to dream, you know? And uh, so sometimes, you know, we talk about the gray skies. And sometimes in a song that's been in heavy rotation here, I really enjoyed it these days, from her penultimate album, motion album, Kristen Ford, Sometimes gray skies turn blue. I think they're turning that way in Sir Street South. Ford wants lightning a bottle from her gray sky blue song. 
And I don't know if they could sell lightning in a bottle at Trader Joe's, which is what Carmen Rodriguez, <clears throat> the alder, is hoping is going to come to Chertsey South, but something's going to come there. <clears throat> and we're guessing they're going to make the gray skies blue. If you're just tuning in, this is baselines, headlines and baselines at WNHHFM State Line New Haven. Looking at the stories, the headlines from the past week in the New Haven Independent. Talking about a little bit, gabbing a little bit, then playing some music. Headline. <coughs> Mandy buys Albertus student housing for $7.4 million. Mandy Management's one of the mega landlords in town. History hasn't been so great with the property they buy. They own more in the housing authority, um, but they've been trying to up their act a lot. And this is a quite interesting and unusual transaction that Tom Breen is writing about in this story. Albertus Magnus is a Catholic uh, university. They have three buildings on Prospect Street. One of them was a mansion that became apartments, another a dorm, another commercial building. And uh, they own the buildings, they use the buildings, and they want to continue doing that, but they're running out of money. Hard times for Albertus. They've been trying to figure out what can they do. A lot of smaller colleges are in that position right now. They don't have those $40 billion Ivy League endowments. So they needed bucks. So Mandy Management saw an opportunity to own these buildings, give them $7.4 million in cash, and turn around and rent it back to Albertus. So the kids will still be there, but now they have the same, same landlord that people in Newhallville have down the hill. And we'll uh, see how that works. I don't think, you know, all the parties are self-interested. No one's a bad guy or a good guy in this case. Mandy acts out of self-interest. They did bail out the Catholic University. I don't know what a long-term solution it is for a university when they no longer own a property, give up an asset, and have to depend on a very busy, stretched-out landlord to run the thing. I guess they had no choice. It was the least bad options they had. Mandy, you know, will have to see how they do with the tenant there. Um, they have a good opportunity there to make rents, make the money back. And uh, my question just was, where was the archdiocese? Mandy's, the, you know, they see the Yamakas, they're Orthodox Jews, and they're a bunch of the mega landlords have come from Lubavitch's Hasidic sect of Judaism, and they bring people from their own group in here, and they're investors, and they're allowed to do that. It's legal, right? Nothing wrong with that, and if it's done right. But my question was, why were they bailing out Albertus Magnus? They were bailing out because it was good business, but where was the archdiocese? Where was the Catholic Church? if they cared about this institution to maybe come up with a solution that would be better for them actually in the long run. It was just a thought because it would be good if you need to take the advice of the temptations, which it's a good idea to never be too proud to beg.
Temptation's never too proud to beg. Albertus Magnus was not too proud to try to find some kind of bailout to stay in business. Ending up with Manny Management, I'm wondering where the Archdiocese of New- of Cartford was for that one. It was your area. But those questions will just left hanging out there on baselines and headlines. WNHHFM Stateline New Haven. Looking at the latest local news, latest local dross and gloss, and then Metafloss on... Uh, 103.5 FM. Here's another headline this week. Oh, I've been really liking the headlines, the alliteration. Grander Grand greeted with joy. Grand Avenue, main commercial artery. Going through Fairhaven. And there are big plans in the work to beef it up. You know, a lot of people around there, a lot of, it's a, one of the main immigrant neighborhoods in New Haven. And it's a lot of people with small business ideas. Energy have revived that area in a couple of waves in the last 20 years. And now the city wants to help with infrastructure and bigger projects that'll make it work right. So there was a press conference this week that uh, the Independent covered, and you could read all about it, where they kind of celebrated all the plans that are in the works. They talked about uh, repaving the whole Grand Avenue, State Street down to Quinnipiac. They're going to do traffic calming, yay. I don't know if they're going to, I hope they have a peanut at some point. I like those peanuts. They're going to have new street lights, street furniture, shade giving trees. I think that was sort of a lesson we learned since the 90s. When we thought the role of government was sometimes the big government control projects don't work, but leaving joint needs to the private sector doesn't work either. And this idea popped up of government in part making it possible for small business people to thrive and communities to thrive through its investments in infrastructure, like the stuff we're just talking now. There are also some other projects, Strong School, um, the old building you still see carved into the concrete boys' entrance, girls' entrance. It was vacant a long time. I saw there where part of the Chatham Square part of Fairhaven starts. They're going to hopefully convert that to 58 new affordable LGBTQ plus friendly apartments. They're going to, um, oh, there's going to be a roundabout, not a peanut, at Ferry and Grand, which is the main intersection there, which definitely needs it. That would be kind of interesting to see how people follow that. You know, it usually takes a while to get used to roundabout. It can work better than a traffic light. There's a lot of traffic there at times, and it gets kind of crazy. That's going to be really fun to watch. I think they could do a reality TV show on that. And a new Zocalo, I don't know if I said that right, Zocalo, which is actually a Mexican word for a public square plaza at Poplar Street, which is uh, really, really great ideas. There was no mention in the story about whether they're going to have a safe injection site there because there's a lot of progress there. You know, cities are messy places. We don't 
things aren't hidden the way they are in the suburbs and people's challenges get played out behind the hedges, behind the curtains on the single acre. Here it's out where everyone can see it and there's an increase in opioid addiction and overdoses and it's on the street Grand Avenue. It's tough so there's a proposal for a safe injection site that would actually take the people off the street and a lot off of Grand where they're no longer causing problems for the public and also they could do it in a place they could do drugs where there'd be help so they don't overdose or if they do overdose and if they're ready to embark on that long march toward sobriety hope to get you pointed that way too i hope that comes but in the meantime there is a reason that like martha vandella and the vandellas they are dancing in the street in grand avenue Forget the Motor City, Martha Vandell. The Vandells dancing in the street. They're also dancing the street, or starting to, in uh, Fairhaven, Grand Avenue. Let's hope that they get a longer run than the Motor City did on that dance. Uh, headlines and baselines. Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio stories from the Independent, New Haven Independent, Ploviation, and then Notes. The uh, One of the headlines, uh, anti-poverty champion, Benita Grubbs retires. 
and the year is ending. Christian Community Action. Benita Grubb is one of our great heroes in town. Soft-spoken, big impact. She's been running commu Christian Community Action since 1988. She's made it into quite a force. One of the few people in New Haven who, or anywhere you find, who navigate and combine both ends of the Moving Society Forward playbook. One is direct service. People like right now need a home if they're homeless. Right now need food if they're hungry. Right now need job training if you want to get a job. Right now need help with addiction. Right now need help with how you keep money. And that's direct service, social service. And Christian Community Action did that. It's expanded under Benita Gross. She's been running it since 1988. And she expanded the number of quite a bit of one shelter they have and then another facility on Winchester Avenue for families getting now 36 months to get back on their feet with help. They have a center she hopes will expand with their successor to give people all sorts of employment and health and other help that they need to get on their feet. And then the other side of it is there are people who try to move society forward through advocacy, through policy, to trying to figure out what decisions government can make, what kind of rules can be in progress, what kind of efforts can take place in strategies that over the long haul deal with the underlying barriers to advancement and they do that quite well christian Community action too early on in bonita's tenure she started mothers for justice now mothers and others for justice she saw the single moms staying at their shelter in downport avenue and said figure out like what's not working around for you like you wanted to get a job you're on welfare but then you would lose too much money you couldn't afford to get your kid fed into school and around if you had this job because you get penalized you want those rules to change or is there enough in there when you're on welfare and getting back on your feet to pay the bills, to live somewhere? What kind of barriers are there getting home? You don't have the security deposits. And I watched how she and these, you know, very intelligent women and kind of fired up to take some steps on their own to remediate their situation, not just today and tomorrow, but long term. And they trained, they did research with the CCA staff on the policies they want to change. It came from them. They would then meet with, have press conferences, meet public settings with policymakers, elected officials, state reps, mayors, and they would get stuff changed and their voices would be heard, which I think is the most important part because I what some of their lives were changed. This woman Nasha Ray was there in the shelter. She became a very successful woman running programs, social services as a career, doing infant mortality work. And I just think uh hats off to Bernita. One you know, I asked her when she was on radio talking about her retirement this week. Their retirement takes effect December first. How it is that she always put herself in the background. She had other people speak. And then if she was to speak, she never exaggerated, never cast aspersions on her people on people who she disagreed with or might have stood in the way of progress. But she still took a strong stand, a clear eyed stand. For instance, when they were getting rid of affordable housing, knocking out buildings for unneeded extra space for the Daniel School, John C. Daniel School in the Hill. She talked about, uh, she likes acronyms, an acronym she learned in her training as a reverend in her seminary training. EGO, E-G-O stands for edging out God. If your ego gets in the way, you're edging out God. And that's another thing I thought about after she said that, about how religion could be such a force for good and such a force for ill, depending how people choose to use that. Because not everybody decides not to edge out God when <laughs> they're calling attention to themselves or what their motivations are for doing work in the name of moving society forward. I was thinking, you know, look at the Middle East, how you have some people on both sides of that, never any conflict that's so tragic right now with the, the Jew, Israeli Jews and the Palestinians. 
where you have some people on both sides who use religion as a reason to commit violence against others. You know, people in important roles in Hamas and the Israeli government who believe that from the river to the sea means wiping out everybody on the other side so the land can be theirs alone. And they cite scripture and they, some of them believe it that because they both have scriptural basis, Muslims and Jews, to say it's their land, in addition to the fact that both sides do have genuine stories in their history about their claims to lands, the living there, to being driven off, that therefore you're doing something holy by killing people on the other side and taking the land away as though God told you to do that. Now, we don't have to get into all the details. You can find whatever you want in Scripture. You really got to look at the underlying values. You can find plenty of scriptures that said you shouldn't even, in either case, be having a land, let alone that God doesn't give you. You have to interpret it that what you want to do is blessed by God. But when you look at someone like Benita Grubbs, and then there are peacemakers who also cite religion, Reverend Martin Luther King, who find genuine, they're not just trying to find what they want to find in the tradition, they find the part of the religious tradition that inspires them to be strong and confront power and injustice, but in a way where you're still living the values. And I think Nita Grubbs very, was very clear when you talk to her that she does believe in God, believes in the Christian scriptures, and uses that as a reason to spread love and justice, to pursue justice in a way that doesn't call on injustice or put the ego first or find an excuse to take from others. I just think she got it right. I think she felt the way Marie Knight felt when she recorded an album tribute to Reverend Gary Davis. She's the former gospel singer turned soul star who her last hurrah was a tribute to the Reverend Gary Davis that came out in 2007. And the song, um, I Am the Light of the World, it's about Jesus, it's about God. But the people who see it that way without their ego, I believe they also, like Benita Grubbs, are the light of this world.
<laughs> Reunite the light of this world and how we can be inspired by religion to be righteous. We also could be self-righteous. What's even worse, or not as worse, but equal to the religious people who use the mantle of being told by God to do horrible stuff is self-righteous politicians who are so pious that their actions can't be questioned, which leads them to contort themselves in infinite shapes to justify what they do. And of course, one of those people is our mayor, Justin Elliker, who believes even questioning his integrity or any move he makes is out of bounds because he's so righteous and accountable. Well, he flagrantly violated the rules of the elect, uh, democracy fund. He runs with public financing when he runs for mayor, which he should be applauded for, for sure, to try to have uh, more accountability and less private influence running elections and give more people a chance to run and be heard. But he flagrantly broke the rules of democracy fund when he ran his last election. Even though he didn't need to, he had plenty of money, he was going to win by a lot. And he did something that is clearly without wiggle room prohibited by the rules of the democracy fund you run, you can talk about all sorts of issues if you get money from the democracy fund you're campaigning because you're campaigning and those are your issues what you can't do in as clear as day in the wording that you can't put out a flyer and advocate for another campaign or another measure to tell people how to vote on something other than voting for you now Elker was trying to run up the score and then give himself four-year terms instead of two-year terms as mayor by changing the charter so that he had more time to plan his next move and not have to face the voters when he does stuff he knows they won't like, like last time he ran for office for his last term and waited till the election was over to put the Brow Boys in charge of the police department. He knew that wouldn't be popular, so he had to wait right after the election, like weeks, to do what he wanted to do. So this time he put out a flyer that he mailed to homes of voters throughout the city saying specifically as the point of the flyer, not an aside, not a list of things he's for while he's telling you to vote for him for mayor. It was vote for charter revision, vote for the, in the referendum to change the charter. Okay. Slam dunk violation illegal under the terms that he took money for public financing. Of course, he had kind of a grade school excuse. He said, well, they told me I could meaning there was some conversation that somebody else had that was sent to him second by telephone for an interpretation of the rules, which was way off, may or may not have been given that way. And he went and did it anyway. So obviously it's up to the Democracy Fund, which administers the public financing system, to make people stick to the rules. There was a complaint filed and they heard, well, they heard it privately, but they, they heard the complaint. And last night, they let him get away with it. Can you believe it? It's sort of like the way the state elections force commission kept letting Joe Gannon give away, which get away with cheating with absentee ballots. And then the same people do it again. And we have all this crisis about an election that uh, is not kosher and has to be redone. Last night, they had the most contorted logic. They said that we'd be impinging on his first amendment rights. If we didn't let him speak openly about an issue, but the rules specifically say, you have a First Amendment right to do whatever you want with your money. But if you want to get certain money, you don't have a right to then raise more money than the limits that are placed. Right? The Supreme Court says you can't force people to do public financing. You have, they have the option to spend all the money they want and then uh, because that's free speech. And they're saying corporations, they even you can take their money because that's free speech. The really free speech, which is so important, has been used as such an excuse and disability 
confused at what it really means for people to give excuses for these politicians to do whatever they want in the name of preserving their power beyond any challenge. So through that same gratuitous language, it's not an impingement of free speech to have voluntary limits on what you could do as a candidate in return for money. No one said he can't speak out in favor of an issue like charter reform. They're saying you can't use these dollars we're giving you from the public, from the taxpayers, for a specific purpose, which is to run for mayor. You can't use it and then use it for something else that we're telling you can't use it for. Just like it's not impinging on your free speech, given the Buckley versus Vallejo decision from 1976 in the Supreme Court, which was such a mess, but said you can't force someone to accept limits running for us. You've got to let rich people buy elect offices if they want because that's speech. And just like the then the subsequent um, decision by the Supreme Court that corporations are people, so therefore you can't stop them from giving money to candidates and all the money they want. But if it's voluntary, even the Supreme Court, with its contorted rules, agrees, you can put rules on how people run for office if they agree to take the money as part of a voluntary public program to try to show that you're in favor of a more just democratic society. Then when you go out and flagrantly violate those rules... You're showing who you really are. And then if you're in charge of enforcing those rules and you don't have the courage to even say when there's so little at stake that we're going to have people follow the rules, you've opened the door to basically have people take the money and run. Well, the Bee Gees knew what people like Justin Elliker and the Democracy Fund were up to when they gave these contorted arguments about free speech or someone said I could do it when I didn't know I could do it. That's really just nothing but jive talking
Jive talking from the BGs. Jive talking from the mayor's office. Jive talking from the Democracy Fund. We're Jive talking on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio, on headlines and baselines on this edition of Dateline New Haven. Latest stories from the Independent, New Haven Independent. Latest loss, bloviation, and then some orchestration. Happy holidays equals bar crawls, valet crunch. That's according to headline the independent Alan Appel story about the downtown Worcester Square community management team where there's a lot of talk about the latest bar crawl downtown where can you believe it 8,000 people came across he was wild they don't tell the cops in advance and it's kind of crazy and a little very loud for the people living there and they got to start telling the cops they said they should get designation of special events for this stuff and then give the cops a heads up so there can be some kind of control but I do say it's a good problem to have a lot of people want to be downtown New Haven. It's the number one spot in Connecticut to hang out. Great city. They want to live there for a reason. The, for C, Bitsy Clark, when she was in Alder, representing that area, and someone complained about the trucks delivering stuff in the morning and making noise. She said, you live in a city. You decide to live in the downtown. There are trucks. People park. doesn't mean that you can't have rules and you want to enforce the rules. It would be great to have a little more order on the Crown Street stuff. But in general, I think that we should celebrate the fact, even when we're trying to solve problems, that in New Haven, it is a place where, like Sister Sledge, we have good times. Theodore, like what are we gonna do tonight, man? Theodore? You ain't hanging out with me calling me no Theodore. <laughs> well then, Slick, I said what are we gonna do tonight, man? I'm gonna get most out. Oh yeah, and do what? Hang out. Yeah. Hang it.
Hanging out from the Good Times album with Sister Sledge and Chic on Dateline. Headlines, it's like they're hanging out, having a good time on Crown Street. Is that a crime? Well, when it is a crime, they should do something about it, but it's not, not always a crime. One more headline here today, 86,000 job matches await. It's not a sexy story, as they say, but it's pretty important. The uh, Community Foundation Great New Haven did an 87-page report on where the jobs are and where the people are. Tens of that, you know, all those jobs are waiting right now. People, they need people to fill them. There are a lot of people who need jobs, but they don't have the right skills. And the programs that exist to help them get to the jobs don't always get them to the right jobs, especially healthcare manufacturing that are available today. So they laid out some ideas in support what to do. They came on the radio and talked. And one thing, one place that's starting to try it out is a place called Match. Interestingly enough, Manufacturing Technical Community Hub. It's a little training program just getting going at Bannon Old Factory Building in Fairhaven on Mill Street. And Marcia Lefemina, who has a streetlight factory and hires people in North Haven, she started this to, to have two ideas about how to make that match better, which I found very interesting. She has the actual machines you use on some of these manufacturing plants that are around now, modern age of manufacturing, to actually train the people on the machines they're going to use, which are, you know, you don't need a college degree. We need good jobs that you don't need college degrees for. But it's not like it used to be where you can walk in completely unskilled. You need some training, and what you need sometimes is that training on the equipment. The other thing she's doing at Match is she has a special track for women who need to work for 25 hours a week because nobody else can care of the kids. They can't afford it. Child care and transportation, big barriers to some of the people getting these jobs that exist. And she's trained there for jobs, and then she can link people to where the women can work while their kids are in school and then pick them up after those 24 hours. Great ideas. That's on Mill Street. That's right by the banks of the Mill River. Yorma Kokonin, who, like Marie Knight, was a fan of Gary Gavin Davis, wrote about the banks of the river, sang about it. It's a Reverend Gary Davis song on his Land of Heroes album. And uh, let's give it a listen.
Sitting on the banks of the river, Yerma Kokonan doing Reverend Gary Davis, the banks of Mill River. That got some excellent job training ideas underway to try to make that match between the jobs that exist and the people who need the jobs. And uh, that's it now for uh, Dateline New Haven's headlines and baselines. Thanks for uh, visiting with us for an hour. Thanks to Harry Dross for working the controls. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.